we're in a creative state as a collective and it's global. People want freedom. They want to be able to contribute. They want to be able to create and plugging people in like batteries in the workforce no longer works. Welcome to the Disrupted Workforce, where we help courageous professionals explore, expand, and evolve in the future of work. Are you curious to understand how all these disruptions are changing how we work in our careers? Trying to self-assess and build an actionable plan to thrive in the future of work? Looking for research and insights from thought leaders to help you and your organization? Then this is the show for you and you found your tribe. I'm Alex Schwartz. And I'm Nate Thompson. And we are your hosts. Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to the Disrupted Workforce podcast, where we are so excited to have Jean-Marie Ayers, Amy Sullivan Ryan, and Dr. Carrie Skirdla join us today from the Everything in Jack show. And if you've been following our podcast, you know that we joined the ladies on their show, Everything in Jack. And our question at that time was when to say yes. Now, here's the thing. I want to give you a little bit of background on their show. And we're totally biting their style today. So they do something beautiful where they talk about deep human questions, important human questions, random human questions. They're all human questions. And they talk about everything and nothing. And so when Alex and I were introduced to that, we were like, okay, this is great. The, the conversation could go anywhere. And we just loved that format. So then after we got done with the show, we said, we've got to have them on our show to talk about the disruptive workforce. And we got to do this banter format and just see what happens. And in the spirit of, of biting your format, uh, we are going to do a stat, a story, and a question. But before we do that, Jean-Marie, why don't you add anything that we may missed in terms of what our listeners should know about you guys, where they can find you, and all of that pertinent data? Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, Dr. Carey will definitely let listeners know where you can find us. But I did want to add, it's absolutely nothing. Everything and absolutely nothing, Jack. You know, absolutely <laughs> nothing. Just what Amy's her tagline is, not just nothing. So who knows where this show is going to go today, right? Yes, I mean, yes. is it going to be a five-minute show or an hour show? <laughs> who knows? But one thing is for sure, as everything in Jack with myself, Dr. Carey and Amy, is we are prepared for your show, and yet we're not prepared. That, that is for sure where we come from. It's like how human beings, we're, we're reactive, we're, we are ready, we're not ready. And you, I, I get you have a really great question for us, which is really predominantly our show. We have one question that is never answered. So good luck on that, Nate and Alex. So Dr. Carey, why don't you let audiences know where they can find us? We'd love for you to check us out at everythingandjack.com. And then we love receiving questions, right? What question is on your mind? You can submit those either through our website or you can email us directly at questions at everything and Jack. And make sure you have the S, questions at everythingandjack.com. Fantastic. Okay, ladies, let's dive in with a stat about what's happening in the workforce that we think is pretty interesting. So as most people know, global worker stress remains at an all-time high. We're seeing this all the time in the news, statistics about burnout and mental health at work. What people may not know is that employee disengagement is at a nine-year 
high. And there's some stats that point to 85% of employees not being engaged at work or in their jobs today. And concurrent with that, 51% of currently employed workers said they are watching or actively seeking a new job. And this is also known as, as quiet quitting. So that's fascinating data. And we all know for years, something's been going on. Something's bubbling and boiling out there in the workforce. But here's this story. And uh, Jean-Marie, I'm going to take it from what you said. In the post office, in an Uber, in the grocery store, on, on media, if you're watching the news, if you're reading it in an article, we're consistently hearing people say, no one wants to work anymore. Can't find people. No one wants to work. And Uber, I was in an Uber and he was complaining that no one wants to work anymore. I thought, this is so weird. <laughs> you're literally the poster child of flexible work. You can't say that. You're, you're one of the people who's winning in this thing. So our question is, has our perspective and paradigm around engagement, effort, and purpose at work changed? Or are we just lazy and don't want to work anymore? What's happening? What do you make of all of this? Mm-hmm. It, it's, not, it's not whether or not I can answer the questions. The question, guys, there's so many nuances involved in this situation, right? And um, we're definitely at a tipping point but it has been a long time coming because one of the, the um, things that a lot of people involved in the situation, specifically employers and, and educators, must own is the fact that this was predicted 20 years ago. And in 2006, Daniel, Dr. Daniel Pink, he wrote a book called A Whole New Brain. And he said the 21st century was going to belong to right brain thinkers. And if you look back at the 20th century, at the beginning of the industrial boom, everything was driven by left brain thinkers all the way through to um, the um, productions that we are enjoying today, the inventions, the innovations of Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, thinkers like that. But today, humanity has shifted. And, it, and you see it with the rise of ADHD and more people realizing they're on the spectrum, right? We're in a creative state as a collective and it's global. So that's one aspect of it. People want freedom. They want to be able to contribute. They want to be able to create and plugging people in like batteries in the workforce no longer works. There was a time where um, when I was a kid and I won't say what decade that was, But there was a time where I remember walking to school and watching all of the garages go up, all of the dads get in their car. And I grew up in Michigan. So the whole supply chain in a manufacturing state like that, it was all tied to the automotive industry. So people went to work and they worked on assembly lines and conveyors all day long, machines, machines. And they were like batteries plugged in. Today, people have thoughts about how to improve things and they want to be creative. And unfortunately, as much as employers are screaming about engagement, they're not listening to the feedback from people that this is not how I wish to engage. So I I just wanted to add to to Jean-Marie is, and and, and it is a brilliant, brilliant question. It's it's particularly brilliant for Dr. Carey. And as Dr. Carey points out, that she has researched, she's been on panels, she's been on interview chat shows about this specific question. I, on the other hand, am going to offer something. I have never, ever in my 58 years, and obviously I wasn't working when I was a kid, I've, I've barely ever been in the workforce as we know it today. 
And, and so I'm coming from a different perspective. I am a coach. I coach people who have been in the workforce, are interested in on, entrepreneurial. But one of the things that I heard you you pointed out, Alex, in, in your quote, or I think it was from from Gallup, is is the the assumption that people are lazy just because they do not want to go back to work. I I just think that is that in itself, this is your disrupted workforce. That's an assumption. Just because people do not want to go back to a particular institution or they want to go back, the, the only, I, I think, memory I have of being in the workforce was in retail. Those are my desperate days. I, I worked for uh, <laughs> retail store. I don't even want to tell you what retail store. It was desperate days. I had a lot well, of you were very fashionable, Jean-Marie, so <laughs> it makes sense. That, that's right. So it, it's, and I got to say, Why? Why would I want to work there when I have an opportunity to be entrepreneurial? And I, I do think that people now want to have their voice heard. I mean, what Dr. Kerry was pointing to was, you know, there is a disruption that in uh, the younger generation, I for sure know with my kids. I mean, my kid at 25 years old is a, as a girl is a leader in her community at 25. And what an opportunity to be heard. I love that perspective. That's fantastic. Amazing points from, from both of you ladies. And Dr. Kerry, I do want to go back to you for a moment in the research and just kind of sum up what I heard. What do these younger generations want beyond the freedom? When you talk about this soul sickness, when you talk about the right-brained economy, what are they looking for? And is there any other insights that you have around what the education system could potentially do differently to create more of a symbiosis between people coming out of school and finding a job that they're passionate and excited about where they aren't avoiding their wonderful HR person like you in the hole. Absolutely. So to respond to that, what I've seen is the ed- education system itself, and, and I feel comfortable speaking to it because I was also in the education system for a really long time as well, teaching and involved with economic development. And the, the K through 12 system, and I would ask everyone on this call, um, how many hours of um, education you received in economics? I think it's like something like one semester. So when you look at the workforce, what it's responding to starts at the Global Economic Forum. That's where you see all of these big thinkers, innovators on stage, on platforms, rolling out new inventions. That information is then shared all across nations, right? Um, give you an example, the 5G uh, chip. It was displayed and then um, it's bidded on by states. Here in Arizona, it was received at Intel for manufacturing. That was one of our states that was able to manufacture it. What's supposed to happen after that immediately is academic institutions are supposed to respond to that. And say, okay, now we need to um, develop students so that they can, you know, repair um, anything that it takes for the manufacturing, the production of that, and the supply chain of it. This is how people know what to go to school and get a degree for in their neighborhood. That's not what's happening. And you said it so well, you restated it. Someone will go to school instead and get a degree in, um, I don't know, Industrial yeah, design yeah, exactly. engineering. I was going to suggest that, but yeah, right. Yeah, that's a good one, right? 
Um, that's actually my <laughs> husband's degree. Yeah. And so, but, but yet he never was able to get a job because it didn't align with the economic strategies in the location he was in in Iowa. So he had to relocate. And this is now talent leaving a state that could have been aligned with something that was going to employ them. So that's one aspect. The other, and what I feel strongly that the younger generations coming in wanted was an opportunity to fix the problem. Millennials were speaking. They were like, we see the problem. And boomers were saying, shut up. You haven't paid your dues. Who asked you to talk? (laughs) Right. And so there was just blatant disrespect. And now Gen Z is, they're like, we don't even want to try and talk to you. We don't want it. We're not coming in. I'd rather make scrunchies and sell them at a market square than to even try and talk to you. And so it's worsened with each generation for one simple reason the failure of the academic institutions to explain to students why we're teaching you these things, why we want to empower you, and then not listening to the contributions that could have been made. And I really think that's the difference or what would make the difference if when we're planning these things, if we would allow younger people to come in, people who are in the workforce already, can you come and sit almost like a focus group? We're having this problem. What should we do with it? And Jean-Marie can tell you that's called looking good. You've got the people on top who feel like they can't ask the people who are actually immersed in doing it and delivering the work. They won't ask them for their feedback. And yet they say we don't have employee engagement. Okay, I'm going to jump in here. I get everything that Dr. Carey's saying. And while I agree with it, fundamentally, and going back 20 years and maybe a little bit longer than that, truthfully, as a parent and as somebody who was uh, raised in a different education system, to me, this is all about the ability to problem solve. Okay. And today's kids, okay, and, to, and, and what the workforce now today were never taught to problem solve. And by that, I mean, I can remember being in grade school and in high school, junior high. And if I had to write a report, that meant that I had to go to the library. It meant I had to look in the card catalog. I had to go check out a book. I had to read the book. I had to take notes. And then I had to write an outline, right, on, on a report. Those are actual, like, problem-solving skills that they don't teach today because of the Internet. It really comes down to instant gratification, in my personal opinion. I see kids and workforce today that want to be able to have the answer. That, oh, I'm just going to type and click and somebody will give me the answer. And it's, I see it in the job force. I deserve instant gratification. They actually don't want to have to work for it. So is it, are they actually lazy from somebody from my generation, yeah, I could actually say, yeah, they're lazy. But it's because they were never taught the skills that we were taught. So how do we fix that? Yeah, critical thinking. Yeah, critical thinking. Yeah. Like, they actually don't know how to problem solve. It also sounds a bit like resilience, what you're talking about as well. Because it's that desire to have everything so quickly. Right, and like... I- like you talked about, you described all the steps that you went through to write your report. And that took a certain amount of effort and 
getting off the couch at each of those steps. It wasn't just sit down, Google, get it. Right. And that it sounds like hard work, but it's not. It's actually, you know, and I'm sure Dr. Carey could give us all, all the terminology, but, you know, that was actually forming like pathways in my brain on how to problem solve that those kids, they, they don't know past Googling something. Yeah, but I'm going to represent their defense for a second. And I'm at the very bottom of Gen X. I'm almost a millennial. And I can literally hear the collective voice of the younger generations going, the world has literally changed, you guys. We don't have to do all those things anymore. In a chat GPT world, in a mobile phone in my pocket that's more powerful than all the history of computers combined, my mobile phone, that's 24-7, 365, and I can touch any app and get anything I want instantly. I live in an instant world and I live in the collective intelligence of humanity. I don't have to go walk uphill barefoot in the snow. You know, I can literally hear them saying like, get off your high horse. That's not the world we live in anymore. Correct. Totally yeah. get that. But it actually is the world that we still live in because not everybody can be the chief. You actually have to be an Indian first, but everybody wants to be a chief and be an entrepreneur and have their own business, but they actually don't know how. I mean, that's why we have so many small businesses failing is because people think that I can just be a business owner, but you don't have the skills. Well, nor do they know how to tap into those resources. That's more of, of the, this, this swirly soup that we're all in, right? There are incubators out there it, it's important to states to have businesses and to support them and grow. Why? Because those people can pay taxes. They can hire people. But where do you find that information? When you're put in the K through 12 system, you are immediately uh, assigned an agenda and you have to shut down everything else in that human so that they can pass tests. And that is their entire lives for what, 12 years, right? And then they come out and critical thinking is a college course after you've shut down the mind of a human being and all of the potential ways that it could have grown. And so I don't think that it's about all of the new access that people have. People of my generation, because I am a baby boomer, are staying in place too long. Amy, you mentioned chiefs. And man, boomers are still trying to dominate everything. It's time for us to back off, right? And they, and they want um, the, the, the generations under them. And boomers have problems with every generation after <laughs> us. Gen X, uh, what are they doing over there? You know, it's like, we're just so grouchy and complaining about everyone. And I'm probably a little different because I'm at the end of the boom where I'm like, no, we need them. We can learn from them. And we're still trying to hold on to the old waves. You, you've got boomers upset because children aren't learning cursive writing because they don't know how to read an analog clock. I don't know how to read a freaking sundial, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, so uh, it's great that you're asking us the, the different perspective because, Amy, you come from a, your own business, don't you? Mm -hmm. So she's coming from that perspective as well. And, and the, one of the things I wanted to throw a spanner in the works is, uh, is I don't remember growing up anyone ever talking about mental health or mental illness ever. And, and that to me is also a huge focus 
that, you, you know, we're, we're discovering more and more people have ADHD or more people have, you know, they want, and what do they want? They might want balance. And, and, and Dr. Carey, put your hand up for, for this part is not visual. No, ADHD. <laughs> yeah. So that's a particular breed as well. I, I don't know. We all have ADHD, but maybe Dr. Has it, Dr. Carey has it more. Who knows? I was an early arriver. Yeah, I spent a lot of time <laughs> in the corner. <laughs> the, the, the dunk corner is what I, where, where we call it in England. So are we now moving towards balance, you know, the in quote, the balanced life rather than the workaholic life? And, you, you know, is it now no longer, we be t- are we interested in people say, oh, no, 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 sorry, I can't go because I have to work or I'm going to yoga now. This is my yoga practice. This is my meditation practice. Maybe there are people that are more interested in having a, I'm not sure what a balanced life is. That's a, that's another question for another day. But are we more fo- geared towards, we want to spend more time with our family? And why then would, why would you want to go to a particular brick and mortar when you can work at home? I love the fact that people do want a balanced life. That is really interesting to me. So I think these are really, really great points around our collective desire for more work-life balance and collective desire for more family and collective desire to be less used like batteries. I think that is all very well and good. On the other side of that, what I learned coming out of college is that effectively there was going to be a rite of passage, that in my 20s, there was an expectation that I was going to have to work my butt off and have a life that was deeply focused on building career, less focused on friendship and relationship in order to get to a place where I became more senior or more successful, where I could begin to grasp on to that work-life balance. Now, on the other side of that, we have a close friend who came on the show. His name is Juan Bandana. He does Global Youth Leadership Summit Coaching with Nate. And he speaks around the world to high school and college-age students. And we said to him, in your conversations with students, what is the biggest pitfall? What is the biggest barrier that you see? And he says, lack of effort. They all see everybody succeeding on Instagram. They see everybody succeeding on YouTube. And they think they can have it faster, better, and easier. That they should become an overnight success. That there is an expectation of overnight success. Is it fair? for them to expect to have that right out of the gate? Or is there still a sense that, hey, everybody's got to pay their dues and there's a period in life where you're going to have to work just a little bit harder and have a less of that balance to get to that place? I want it now and I'm 58. I want it now. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm going to jump in here. It's Amy. So I, my son, uh, he'll be 22 this summer. He graduated 2020, the pandemic. Right. Oh like, yeah. Okay. Born a month before 9 11 and graduated the pandemic. I mean, kids had it all. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. His birthday's 8 11 01. Right. Okay. Wow. wow. So, um, he didn't get a high school graduation. He actually went on spring break and never went back to school. So, those senior moments of senior breakfast, you know, senior ditch day, senior prom, like, they never happened for him. And what his high school said was, is we're actually going to do a graduation in like uh, at the end of July. Well, then July got there and they said, oh, sorry, we're still not going to do a graduation. So he didn't get anything virtually. Yeah. There was nothing. His last day of high school was 
his first day of spring break. Mentally, it's like he's still in high school. Like I can't get him to step into adulthood. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like I'm watching him and I'm going, okay, what can I do as a parent to help him? He has no drive to go to school. He started pilot getting his pilot's license. It's work. You have to show up on time. You have to put in so many hours. You have to take so many tests. Loved flying the plane. And it was great at flying the plane. Hates having to take all the tests and do the paperwork and stuff. So he stopped doing that. I mean, he's really disengaged from actual life. I mean, I think there's something really important there. My daughter just graduated from CU also in the pandemic. And when she got out, she they didn't have a graduation either. I think there's something in there that's really true. And it, so she felt like I basically lost about two years of my college, the interaction of my college, the graduation of my college, the experience of my college. And when she got out, she goes, I really have zero interest in adulting. Like, yeah. I just feel like this whole adulting thing you guys do every day is like not it. Whatever you're doing is not it. And that wasn't a judgment for me at all. I just thought there's, there's, I need to listen to what's happening here to try to understand. And Alex, I think you kind of have, you're onto something there with this. What are the modern rites of passage? We've just lost, we've lost this beautiful thing called a rite of passage. And now we're sort of in this ground where there isn't, a, a, a defined rite of passage for people to go through anymore and sort of earn it and own it and grit it and right. resilience it. And so Dr. Kari. Nate, let me hop in because I, I want to, I want to respond to what the three of you specifically are saying. So gosh, I hope your listeners don't get ticked off, especially if you're educators. Um, but um, American academic institutions are predominantly ran by women, women who detest males. So the output, Amy, that you're experiencing, we've researched that there's data about it, that the institutions are more favorable towards developing females than they are males. Males are an inconvenience. Now, I have three boys and a girl. I have my, my youngest child is 23, and that's the female. And man, everything was handed to her to develop her. It was like, oh, she's smart. She's great. Whereas with my son, I would go to these meetings. And it was very, very clear that because he was a male, he was an inconvenience. And that those are the, see, we have to remember that an academic institution is not the bricks. It's not the flooring. It's not the ceiling. There are people there that are coming in there with their issues. And our young people are being abused. They really are. Just really quick on that point around gender bias within the school system is would you say that that is in equally distributed between public and private? Is this a nationwide issue? Like, where does your research center? I think it would be helpful for listeners to kind of unpack that just a little further. So, so we, we looked at all of them because, you know, there was an exodus at one point into charter schools, private schools, things like that. And when I was a kid, academic institutions were primarily ran by males. That didn't work either, not in the 60s. And, <laughs> and then, in the 70s, we had more of a balance. Today, because of the wages, right? You primarily see more women who are married to doctors and lawyers. And so it's okay that I'm earning this, but they are biased towards girls. They really are. And so this, and we're seeing it all across the board. 
And, and that's, that's a huge problem. You get your administrators, pull up any school in your local area, look at the administration, look at the staff, you'll see one male there. And as a female, I got to say, I'm right now in this moment, okay with that. You know, I'm a golf player. I have to, I am actually have to watch male tournaments. I, and in predominant, it's like definitely in the tennis. So if you look in the sports world, I start and, and having a daughter and three stepsons, I made every effort and focus to have my daughter be educated in math and in sciences. That was not the case when I was growing up. And, and one of, and one of no. the education uh, that I focused on, I sent her to a Waldorf school, which is a Rudolf Steiner school. It was totally alternative. They and and I I never saw, but you you know it, you only see what you can, can see. And and I appreciate Dr. Kerry saying you you actually purposely went out and did the research. So as a parent, I never saw any differences in the way the teacher taught in the Waldorf school because it was very much centered on experiences. They didn't have homework. They didn't have exams. They didn't have tests. And, and my daughter has come out as an engineer and, and really well as an engineer as a 25-year-old, as a female. But I also can see the, the encouragement that females are having today. And quite frankly, I'm okay with that. But, but just, just imagine um, uh, an, an entire administration in a school district that has that perspective and that tone to it, right? And so when we correct, because it was too masculine, when we correct, we tend it's to exactly overcorrect. what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. Okay? And it's, it's very, very damaging. And then I don't want to forget what uh, Alex was talking about, about the rite of passage. I don't think that it's, that people should come in and have to grind that way. The, the problem that we're seeing, if you look at any American wage scale for all 50 states, it will start at like 1981 and you'll look at wages, how seriously it's almost a flat line, right? So there's no incentive for the grind. People are not making any money. I'm going to do all of this work and not make any money and sacrifice my life the three-legged stool doesn't even exist anymore. 401k, pensions, that whole thing that boomers bought into. But what we see is that the wealthy, like the employers, the CEOs, theirs has been consistently going up where it's seriously, you look, it's barely got a pulse, right? My first wage after college, I was hired by a, a Fortune 500 company making $50,000 a year. That was in 1985. That was all the money in the mm-hmm. world. And then you look at American median today, wage median, it's per household, $61,000. You've got to be kidding me. That's an entire household. So there's not a whole lot of incentive to, to go out there and grind and give my whole life to 50 hours a week to get what? Actually, you, no, what she's saying is real. It, it really is true. And, but I'm going to go from a different aspect. We need cheap labor, okay? I mean, that's just it. The country cannot run with everybody making X amount of dollars. And there does have to be an incentive of, I actually want to make more money. And in order to do that, I've got to get an education. I've got to, whatever it is, whether it's a technical trade or, you know, an education at college level. But when you get to the point with wages, okay, 
And, and I'm going to go back to just being a business owner here for a second, where I'm having to pay somebody $19 an hour. To, I'm in the automotive industry to drive cars around on my lot for me, move them from parking space 81 to parking space 52. That is not a $19 an hour job. <laughs> okay. And I can tell you that because when my sister-in-law graduated from nursing school and was actually a licensed nurse. She made $19 an hour starting at the hospital. There is no incentive right now for people to be going to medical professions. I mean, the wages, the, none. None. The, it, they they got to put four, six years in of schooling. Why would you go to nursing school, right, and spend all this money when you're coming out of nursing school and you're making $25 an hour, but the guy over there that's driving cars around or cutting French fries at one of the burger places that we all know is making, their starting wages are $18.50 an hour. I mean, this is right. a lot of what we're talking about, the laziness, right? There's no drive to make more money. When I first entered the workforce, minimum wage was $5.85, six and a quarter, whatever it was. Okay. It took me... <laughs> Like, I remember actually thinking, if I had to work two or three hours to, to get $15, right, I then was very careful about how I spent that $15 mm -hmm. because I had to actually work for three hours to then be able to go buy a meal. Let's just say it like Applebee's or something like that. But today's kids that are entering the workforce, they're making double sometimes triple what it costs to go to Starbucks and get a coffee. I mean, the numbers are so out of whack for the expectation that these kids have of themselves. I should be earning X amount of dollars. I should be able to afford this lifestyle that I have or want to live, but they're not going to ever get any further than where they're at. But I think what you're missing is an essential piece. And that is, and I don't disagree with you, that's another one of those things that got corrected inappropriately. Overcorrected, exactly. Right? When you entered the workforce, right, you were entering a true capitalist society. What's happening today looks more like feudalism than capitalism because all of the, the, the when you look, please, everyone later, look at Americans' wage scale. When you look, the nobles, their income is, is increasing. So there's all of that push upward, right? And believe me, I'm a capitalist. I like making money. I'm a true red, white, and blue kind of person. But it's out of balance because of deregulations, monopolies, and things like that, where now these people appear, they keep increasing, and wages are staying this. And when you staying flat, and when you look at the cost of living and how it's increasing, 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 of course they want higher wages. Of course, they want a lifestyle because we gave it to them. So here's, here's an idea for you ladies. So what I would love to do is I would love to finish with a simple question, which is coming out of this conversation, what is one thing that you're optimistic or excited about in this moment that we're in? And what is one thing that you would really like to see change? What I'd like to see is more parents supporting their children with um, getting into incubators like the small business development centers and developing their own businesses. 
And what is one thing you're optimistic about or one thing that you really love about this moment we're in? Dr. I love what I love about this moment is with all of this chaos, this is what it looks like when life is working. I think we're headed somewhere and we should just hold on and relax and stop freaking out. Um, The younger generations, millennials, the younger Gen Xers, the young people, they're going to take us into the future. And I'm a boomer that is celebrating them and supporting them and backing them up. Fantastic. Go Gen Z. Go all young people. Do your thing. We did. <laughs> so I love the fact that people are now asking themselves, what do I want to do with my life? I love that people are saying, why, what, why am I doing what am I doing? What do I really want to do? What's meaningful for me? That's a question we never, ever, ever had at school. What do you want to do? And what would I change about that? Is actually keep continuing to ask that question. What do you want to do? And, and then whatever it is, is the next action to create the next skill, the next conversation or find the resources. So that, that's what, that's what I'm excited about. And that's what I think going forward is a positive, uh, it's positive coming out of this conversation. Amy? So for me, the one thing that I think I'm really excited and optimistic for is the fact that today with the five of us, we've proved that you can have five different opinions. And, <laughs> And have a great conversation and walk away as friends. I think that society has, our opinion has become fact, right? And it, and it has to be this way. And, and what I love is the fact that we can say, sit down and, and just talk and actually hear each other and really listen and get back to that where we can actually disagree. And the one thing that, I would uh, like to see change is I would love to see human beings follow their dreams more, like chase them and actually not just look at them as a dream, but like actually take the step of, of what it means to, to achieve that goal in life or not, not it be a poster that hangs on the wall, but work towards it every day. We haven't gotten to where we are in humanity today without having the dreamers Taste their dreams. Beautifully said. And maybe, maybe that's the new rite of passage, is how do we actualize our dreams in a way that's really powerfully bringing them to life in an iterative, thoughtful, and ongoing way. Ladies, thank you so much for being here to have this banter with us. We love the energy, the dynamic nature of, let's just get in there. Let's just start lifting up rocks and see what comes out and opinions and biases and all this stuff. Amy, to your point of let's just have a good debate in a beautiful and friendly way, which is this core skill that everyone needs, that humanity collectively needs. And then we somehow kind of messed it up over the (laughs) recent years. And it's just so good. It felt great to do that with y'all. What I'm excited about is that I genuinely believe in my entire heart that this is the best chance in the history of our lives to make work better. I think we're on a tipping point. I think we're on the cusp of something and it feels really messy and it's got people freaked out, but that's okay. That's what change looks like. It's creative destruction. Let's lean in. This is going to be good. Like Dr. Carey, yes, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Um, And the thing that I'm hopeful for, I'm concerned about but hopeful for, is that we've got to stay on this well-being, self-care uh, flexibility and hybridity train. I think those are so important to the future. John Marie, you said, you know, getting stuck in a box and, and, and this idea of 
treating people as objects and get, you're a battery plug in, like that has to die. For us yeah. to reach our creative potential, we have to go, let's unlock the talent and potential of people. We don't need to shove you in a box. You're not a battery. Like, and, and I just really hope that we can come together to foster that vision and that purpose and that intention for the workforce. We talked a lot on the show about the various moments where dreams go to die in terms of not being able to make enough money, not being able to meet the expectations. And I'd like to kind of iterate, Amy, on what you said and talk about the idea that effort should be tied to where our dreams can go to live and that this pairing of effort with dreams, with purpose, with a vision for a more fulfilling life that that's where the synergy and beauty of the future of work should lie. Perfect. Ladies, everything in Jack, you all are fantastic. The banter lives on. You've inspired us to be more in our banter. Thank you for creating your show. Thank you for every week coming back to the audience and listening to the people, harvesting those questions, and then having human conversations, real the bring in the real real on these human conversations. That's what y'all do. That's why we love your show. And thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having us. Awesome. Thank you for joining us on this journey. In a world where attention is scarce and content is abundant, it means a lot. To learn more about this episode, go to disruptedwork.com forward slash podcast, where you can find show notes and key details about the episode, our guests, and how to connect with us. Our website also contains additional resources for learning, including our future work mindset model and action plan. The best way you can support the disrupted workforce is to subscribe to our show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. To help others thrive in the future work, spread the word by rating and reviewing the podcast and sharing your favorite episodes with the people you care about. Disrupt yourself to unlock your future.